Welcome to the podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and tune in. Make sure to join us each Sunday at 9 on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. in English and 11.45 in Spanish. Also, Celebrate Recovery meets each Monday night at 6.30. Hey, uh, just quickly, um, my name is Billy. I'm a pastor here on staff. If you're joining with us for the first time here or online, um, I'm not the lead pastor. Pastor Adrian Mills is our lead pastor, and he will be back bringing the word next week. But I have the privilege to open up God's word this morning. And I thought about uh, the introduction for this week, but I quickly realized that when I have, when I have a burning question um, that I want addressed, I like to, I like to cut the fluff, right? I, I like to just get to the point. Um, let's get on to the answer um, to the question at hand. And so here we go uh, this morning. Welcome to week two of our series that began last week, Burning Questions. Burning Questions. This is a unique series because we're looking at questions that are being asked today and ones that we need to understand and be able to address and answer. Um, our, our key scripture that's guiding uh, the formation um, of this series is 1 Peter 3 and verse 15 that says, But in your hearts, Peter's writing this to a group of believers, he says, In your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Not just the answer matters, but how you give the answer matters. And Pastor Adrian began last week addressing the burning question, would a loving God really send someone to hell? If you missed that, I encourage you sometime this week to go back and tune in to that message. Because the belief and the answer to which Pastor Adrian laid out in week one comes from our understanding of God's word contained in the Bible and what it says about the answer to that question. And while the questions in this series, while the questions in this series are not, are not building on one another, the question we will address today must be answered in order to establish an answer to almost every burning question, including the one that we answered last week that would be asked of the church or of us today. Especially, especially in the lives of those who go by the name of Christian or Christ follower. And so today we are addressing the question, do you actually believe the Bible is true? That it's the word of God. Do you actually believe that the Bible is true? And, and the late evangelist and pastor Billy Graham, if you know that name, you know who I'm talking about. If not, uh, do a little research, a little Google, some YouTube. You can learn about who Billy Graham was but the late evangelist and pastor Billy Graham wrestled with this question, uh, do you actually believe the Bible is true? He wrestled with this early in his ministry when someone he looked up to challenged him with that question. And if you know his legacy, you'll know that his answer ultimately changed the course of his entire life and his family for generations. So would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, as we open up your word, uh, we invite you, uh, Jesus, uh, through the Holy Spirit to come and to open up our hearts. You are the word made flesh. You are the word made flesh. So we pray that you would indwell us, that you would give us ears to hear and, and hearts to receive what you want to speak to each and every one of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So before we get straight to that question, right, before we get straight to the question at hand, first let's briefly, uh, I, wanna, I want us to briefly understand what we're talking about 
when we reference the Bible. When we reference the Bible, the Bible, also known as the Holy Bible, God's Word, the Scriptures, is a collection of 66 books. 39 books of of Hebrew Scripture, known as the Old Testament, and 27 books that we call the New Testament. Written by 40 authors over a period of 1,500 years on three continents. That's what we have in our Bible. The canon of Scripture, it's also referred to as the canon of Scripture, and canon simply means a, a standard of measurement. It was what was included in our Bible is what we call the canon. It, it fit the bill uh, to be called uh, a scripture. And you see, it wasn't a quick decision by one man, by one person, one group, but a, it was the product of centuries of reflection by the church. That's what we hold in our hands or on our phones, on our tablets. It was centuries of reflection from the church. There was a rigorous process that was used to determine what was divinely inspired scripture, what would go into this, this what we hold in our hands today. But we don't have time to really go into that process this morning. The Bible is the most translated book in history throughout the world. The Bible is the most read book in the world based upon the fact that it is the most sold book in the world. And here's one for you. The Bible is one of the most shoplifted books in the world, which seems ironic for a book that says thou shalt not steal, right? But somebody wants to get their hands on it for some reason. So now that we've briefly established what we're referencing when we say the Bible today, let's move to answer and address this question. Do you actually believe the Bible is true? Perhaps your short answer would be yes. Perhaps some of you this morning would say, I think so. Mm, Maybe, I don't know. And perhaps even some of you would say, no, I'm, I'm just not there. No matter your answer, I ask you to lean in. However, if you say yes, if you say yes to that, if someone asks you that question and you say yes, what would you say if they followed up with this question? Why do you believe that's true? Because it doesn't really work to have an answer to this question without having an answer to the second question. And I understand that this question can lead us down many roads. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, I believe we can answer this question more precisely, confidently, coherently, and yes, respectfully and gently. And more importantly, this morning, in turn, examine our own lives to see if they are in line with what we confess to believe. So before we get into the text, into the Bible, I want to address those who would say, yes, I believe the Bible is true. It is the inspired word of God. And so if asked, if asked by your family member, by a neighbor, by a coworker, by a friend, or by an enemy, why do you believe that? What would you say? And I want to propose two answers that we may be quick to give that are not helpful, and quite frankly, they're bad answers if someone says, why do you believe that the Bible is true? The first is this, because that's the way I was raised because that's the way I was raised. I mean, I could give that answer. That's the way I was raised. But what about others? What about others who were raised to believe other religious books, other teachings, or simply nothing at all? The first answer is, that's the way I was raised. The second uh, unhelpful bad answer is, well, I tried it and it changed my life. I tried it and it changed my life. I mean, how many in the culture that we live in, how many, how many things out there, including religions, agendas, cults, self-help books, 
that people say, I've tried it and it changed my life. And so while it may be true in your life, it's not a helpful answer. Many things have been tried by many people, even if they've proven to be false and detrimental. And to be honest, until preparing the answer uh, to to this question today in this sermon, I'd not thought much about my own answer, and I possibly would have given one of those two answers, or possibly have just said, well, I just take it by faith. But with the help of others, through some research and and, and grounded in history and the authority of the Bible, I think I have found a a more well-rounded and precise answer. But just to note this morning, I do not plan to defend the Bible today. I don't plan for this sermon to be a defense of the Bible. As Charles Spurgeon once said, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose, and the lion will defend itself. So we're going to let the word of God loose this morning. Because the words of the Bible testify itself to its power. Isaiah 55 declares that God's word never returns empty, but always accomplishes God's purpose. And so we'll see that some of the most shocking claims the writers pen in the Holy Bible are what the Bible says about itself. So what is the more well-rounded and precise answer that I found? It's going to be on the screen here. It was articulated by a pastor named Bodie Bauckham. And it says this, and we're going to walk through this step by step today. And it's in your version notes. Um, you can write it down. Um, I believe it's solid. And I'm going to give you the foundations from where this statement comes from. It says, I choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable source of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim that their writings are divine rather than human in origin. That's wordy, that's wordy, but follow along with me here. This statement is actually re-articulating what the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. So let's go there now. 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 16. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 16. It's in your version notes. If not, you can turn there in your copy of the Bible this morning if you have a copy at hand. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 16, we're going to begin reading. It says, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were there with him on the sacred mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. You can find that in your Gospels. Verse 19, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star, the morning star, that's another name for Jesus in the scripture, until the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is the word of the Lord. And so what we see here in this text, which is foundational for our statement that we began with, is that Peter is assuring his audience He's assuring um, these new believers that in contrast to the lies of the false teachers in the culture all around them, 
We have some, some false teachers. We have some lies that are circulating around us as well, right? He's saying in contrast to that and, and what he's going to discuss later in the letter, the teaching about Jesus' return, he said, what I'm passing on to you is authentic and it's reliable. You see, Peter's preaching is what he's saying in this text is not based on something that he just made up. Not even something that he heard from another person. He's saying both my firsthand experience of Jesus and the truth of fulfilled prophecy in Scripture verify to his readers as well as us today that we can be confident in its accuracy. We can be confident that what he is saying is accurate. So let's, let's run through, through that statement that we started out with and stay with me this morning. Accuracy, that it is a reliable source of historical documents. The Bible is a reliable source of historical documents. Did you know today, and there's probably more, I, I, my, my, my research is probably even outdated, that there have been over 25,000 archaeological digs related to matters discussed directly in the Bible. Over 25,000 digs related to matters discussed directly in the Bible. The Bible, as we've said, is a collection of 66 books written by 40 authors over a period of 1,500 years on three continents. But guess what? They tell one story. They tell one story. Yes, in the beginning, we see that this story of creation and the fracturing creation, but the rest of the story is of the radical, loving pursuit of God for humanity. If we look at the historical accuracy, and, and this was phenomenal, I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot preparing. If we look at the historical accuracy of transcription, of the copying of the text from what was written down, and the reliability of the scriptural text alongside other ancient documents, the finding is remarkable. Plato, maybe you've heard of this guy. He wrote the Republic in 400 BCE. The earliest copy we have is from the 9th century CE. That's a 1,300-year span from the time that it was written until the time we have the first copy. Around 210 copies are known to exist. Julius Caesar, maybe you've heard of him. He wrote the Gallic Wars in 100 BCE. The earliest copy is from the 9th century CE. That's almost a thousand year span before the original was written and we have the first copy. Only 251 copies are known to exist. Homer, Homer, which he, he wrote the Iliad. It's, his, his writing is the closest in reliability to the scriptural text, but he wrote that in 800 BCE, and the earliest copy we have is from 400 BCE, so there's only a 400-year span from the original writing to the first copy that we have today, and around 1,800 copies exist with about a 95% accuracy rate to one another. Now, if we look at the New Testament alone, which was estimated to be completed around 100 CE, the earliest copy we have is from about 125 CE. Now, this is historical stuff here. I, I'm not making this up. I'm not that smart. I'm not that schooled. That's a 25-year span from the completion of the New Testament to when we have a first copy, just a couple of decades. There are 24,000 copies known to exist of the New Testament manuscripts in multiple languages. There are almost 6,000 in the Greek language alone. 
which is what it would have been written in originally. Almost 6,000 copies of the Greek New Testament alone, and those Greek New Testament copies have a 99.5% accuracy rate to one another. So what about the Old Testament? What about the Old Testament? It, it was estimated to be completed around 400 BCE. The earliest copy we have is from 900 CE, so that's a 1,300-year span with the Old Testament. So that's a, that's a pretty big span there. Until the mid-20th century when Bedouin shepherds in Israel found some scrolls in some old jars in the mountains near the Dead Sea in Israel. And maybe you've heard of these. They're called the Dead Sea Scrolls. These dated back to the time before Christ. And they found that these copies that were found with the copies that were 1,300 years old, they compared the two and found that the quality control of biblical transmission, copying of the text, was so rigid that after 1,000 years, these Old Testament texts were 95% identical to one another with most of the differences being in spelling. They didn't win the spelling bee. So after applying, you see here, so after applying the same criteria to the Bible as other ancient documents, it's clear that the Bible is the most accurately preserved and verified document in the ancient world. That's not my research. That's the experts. And so this is indeed a reliable source of historical documents. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. It's reliable. What else makes it reliable? It is written by eyewitnesses during the time of other eyewitnesses. Second Peter, in the passage we began with, he says, we didn't follow cleverly devised stories. We told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And in verse 18, he says, we ourselves heard the voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And you see, in the New Testament, we have different authors from very different backgrounds. We got fishermen, we got doctors, we got, we got the learned in Paul. He, he, he was a, a, a Pharisee, a Pharisee. We have different authors from different backgrounds. But Dr. Luke, who wrote one of the accounts of the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke, he, he was known to be a doctor, began his account this way. Listen to the way that Luke begins his Gospel account. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Many have undertaken just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. He says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully, have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. Do you actually believe the Bible is true? You see, Luke's goal in writing his gospel account, his biography of Jesus' life, was history and chronology. That was his goal. He says it in the opening statement. My goal is to write the history and chronology of the life of Jesus. And the other gospel writers had different goals in their writing. John was evangelism. He centered his gospel around seven miracles, seven signs that Jesus performed. Mark, the gospel of Mark is the shortest. His, his goal was brevity. It was, hey, give me the facts. Cut the fluff. Give me the facts. Let's get to the point. Matthew was the most detailed from a Jewish perspective because Matthew sought to give Jewish credibility that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures he was the coming Messiah that they were looking for. 
Yet these collection, right? We have a collection of accounts, multiple biographies of the life of Jesus, yet they all tell the same story. They were written by eyewitnesses during the time of other eyewitnesses. Paul penned these words in 1 Corinthians 15 when he's writing about, about Jesus following his resurrection. He says that he appeared, that's Jesus, to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living when Paul's writing this. Though some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born, written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. And John, John the Apostle, he later writes a few letters, not just his gospel account. And in 1 John, listen to the way that he opens up this letter. He says, that which was from the beginning, this is 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes and which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. He's saying, do you believe that it's true now? But he continues in verse 2. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. He's like, do you believe it now? Do you get it? No? Okay, verse 3. He says, we proclaim to you that which we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Pertaining to the New Testament, it was written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. And they're making sure that their readers knew that and that we know that today. Written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They reported supernatural events. This is the New Testament. We're focused on it specifically for a moment. They reported supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies. Peter writes this in the passage we began with uh, from 2 Peter 1, verse 19. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. So he's saying, particularly the scriptures, the words of the prophets, with my own experience, confirm the truth of what I'm teaching you. He says, we have it which is completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star until Jesus rises in your hearts. He's saying, hey, listen, if, if you doubt my testimony, then at least pay attention to fulfilled prophecy. He says, pay attention to fulfilled prophecy just like a person, right? We, we read this, Aubrey read this during worship. Uh, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome him. It says, pay attention to this fulfilled prophecy in the scriptures, just like a person walking in a dark night who sees a light shining in the dark. Did you know science has shown that a human eye can see a lamp burning up to a mile away? Lighthouses make more sense, right? He's saying, listen, listen, if, if you don't believe the testimony, at least believe the fulfilled prophecy. At least keep your eyes on what's happening with the prophecy that has been fulfilled. Just like a person who's walking in the dark at night and you see a light, you see a light in the distance. What do you do? You usually will keep your eyes fixed on that light and you either move towards it or you'll see if the light's moving towards you. You'll keep your eyes fixed on it. If it's dark and you see something light in the distance, you're going to try to figure out what, 
What's going on over there? He says, just like that, keep your eye. If you're not quite convinced yet today, if you're not quite convinced yet today that this is trustworthy, he says, just keep watching. Keep watching. Keep looking as you would a light in the darkness. And you see, we could, we could spend a whole morning, but the fulfilled prophecies in the New Testament uh, from the old are so numerable that we couldn't begin to scratch the surface today. Is it relevant? Okay, we've, we've talked about it being accurate. It's reliable. Historically, they, they've written it down, and it was written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. Is it relevant? Our statement continued that they claim that their writings are divine rather than human in origin. He finishes up our passage in 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. He says, Above all, you must understand no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. 2 Timothy Paul's writing, he says, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know that those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So do we see that some Scripture is God-breathed, or that most Scripture is God-breathed. No, all Scripture is God-breathed. Even the Scriptures that you have the toughest time with, even the Scriptures that you least understand were breathed and inspired by God. You see, the Scripture exists to equip the servant of God. It makes it very relevant for our lives today. It's not just light reading. It's not just an interesting book. No, no, it's a gift to you and to I for equipping you for every good work. And some of you today might wrestle. You might be wrestling today with believing the Bible because it was written by men. That's a popular notion in our time today. Well, the Bible is written by men. But if you can't believe that the Bible uh, is accurate and true and reliable based upon those grounds, then you can't believe anything written in a book throughout history because they were written by men. And women, they were written by fallible humans. So if those are the grounds, then you can't believe anything in history because men wrote them all. And yet sometimes we're so gullible that we believe ourselves. You see, we believe the Bible is divinely inspired. It's 66 books written by 40 authors over 1,500 years on three continents, yet they tell one message, one story. The story of God's radical pursuit for humanity. The Bible has altered the course of entire empires throughout history. Being that the writings are divine rather than human in origin, it answers our deepest longings and questions. What is truth? Does my life have purpose? Is there a God and can I know him? Is there anything beyond this life? So it seems as though this collection of 66 books is indeed alive and active as the writer of Hebrews penned in Hebrews 4. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates 
even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges because it's fit to judge. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You see, God's word leaps off the page. It has energy and it's skilled to judge you and I and to move us closer to the image of Christ because it's piercing. The word of God that you have in your Bible or on your phone or on your tablet, it has active power for those who will consume it. You see, the Bible is not a passive book when the words get in you. But listen, the words can't get in you unless you get into the word. One writer, Michael Kruger, noted, he said, and at this point, at this point, someone will object. How can we base our belief about the Bible on what the Bible says about itself when that testimony comes from the Bible? Isn't that circular reasoning? He says, in a sense, it is circular, but not in a problematic way. When it comes to ultimate authorities, there is always an inevitable level of circularity when we authenticate them. After all, if an ultimate authority is only valid because it conforms to some lesser authority, then it would no longer be ultimate. Put simply, we can't account for an ultimate authority without using it. And I say this morning, we are claiming, along with the church universal, there is no higher ultimate authority to which this document known as the Bible must conform. This is our ultimate authority when it comes to any written document. But, but perhaps this morning, the central problem for many of us, listen, the central problem for many of us today and perhaps listening online, maybe some of you, you're being stirred in, in, in a new way of, of believing and, and, and relying and trusting God's word. But perhaps for many of us, the central problem today isn't whether the Bible is true or the word of God. We would confess to believe both are true. Maybe the central problem this morning for many of us is whether we're lovers of the word. Jeremiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, he wrote this in, in chapter 15, in verse 16. He says, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. And according to, second, according to Peter, the same guy, right? I love Peter. According to Peter, in 1 Peter 2, in verse 2, he says, God's people should crave God's word as newborns crave milk. And listen, there is a reason, if you come see me after the service, that I have bloodshot eyes, that my wife has bloodshot eyes. We, we welcomed a, a newborn. She'll be four weeks old tomorrow. We got a new little Logan in the family. And there's a reason, yeah, we can celebrate that. Thank you. And it doesn't matter what time of night it is, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., no, she ain't respectful. She craves milk. She craves milk. So, man, when I read that, Peter was hitting home with that one. Because babies grow when they consume milk. So what's Peter saying about us? He's saying we need to grow up in our salvation. We need to grow as disciples. And the only way we can do it is to consume this and crave it like babies crave milk. Whew. I need more coffee. Perhaps one of the greatest challenges for the Western Christian today is the temptation to take the Bible for granted while people around the world are still dying for it. Dying because of it, and they're dying to have it. And some of you this morning, some of you don't reject the Bible per se, but you just don't fully accept it as authoritative words for your life. You see, we don't have permission to pick and choose what we like in Scripture and what seems unrealistic to us. 
We can't claim the promises of God in our life and ignore his proclamations of truth that seem to be just too hard. That confront us and call out our sin for what it is. Sin. The psalmist penned these in 119. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, Lord. And one thing I've learned personally in my life, even within the last four years through some tough stuff, is that God's favor cannot and will not rest on your life if there is anything in your life that you know is contrary to his will and to his word. It cannot and will not. Author Kent Hughes writes this. He says, you can never have a Christ-like mind without reading and listening to the scriptures. We can listen. Ain't that a gift? To the scriptures and the Bible regularly because you cannot be profoundly influenced by that which you do not know. And Jesus, in Matthew 7, we're moving to close here. Jesus, in Matthew 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Listen, I confess, the less time I spend in God's word, the more likely I am to drift in my attitudes, in my thoughts, in my actions. And friends, the plethora of news sources that we have around us at our disposal can be used for good, but it can be a temptation to persuade you and influence you otherwise. So be careful this morning what you allow to feed you on your feeds, your social media feeds, your news feeds, your friends and family feeds. Make sure you're taking in the truth. Because as Jesus continues, he's, he's wrapping up the greatest sermon of all time. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, go read it this week. The greatest sermon of all time, a few verses later in 24, he says this. He gives this illustration, and it's literally, he's, he's wrapping the sermon, and he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Not, not who hears these words and says they believe them, who hears these words and puts them into practice. is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. If you know anything about a house, it's got to have a foundation. And if you know anything about this story, he's going to keep talking. He's going to say, because the winds came and the wave came and the, and the streams rose and the house stood firm. He says, but anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a person who built their house on sand. And if you've ever built a sandcastle, you know what happens. The winds come, the waves come, the waters rise, and the house on the sand went splat. James, he follows up with what Jesus was teaching in James 1 and verse 22. He says, friends, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. It sounds like insanity, doesn't it? But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And so I think, I think the, the bottom line today that, you know, do you actually believe the Bible's true? If we say yes, do we love that word? I believe the bottom line, the truth for us this morning is that there is a difference between believing the Bible is true and living like the Bible is true. 
That's the bottom line this morning. There's a difference between saying we believe that the Bible is true and living like the Bible is true. Or maybe this way, maybe this helps us. There's a big difference between saying you believe God's word is true and obeying the truth of God's word. And so I urge you this morning, I urge you strongly, if you believe today, listen, if you believe today that the Bible is truly the inspired word of God, then live like it. Do what it says. Do what it says. This is, and listen, this is not behavior modification or works righteousness. Because salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You can't be good enough to earn your salvation. But his word should change your life because the one who gave his life became the word incarnate. And he sent his spirit so that we might know him and know the truth. And you know what Jesus declared? Jesus declared, you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And the truth shall set you free. And so do you consume the truth? Listen, parents with children at home, is it, is it foundational in your home life? Married couples, is it the lifeline to your marriage and the light unto your path? Friends, young, from the youngest in the room to the oldest, is, it a word, is the word a lamp for your feet as you walk through this, this world day by day? There's a difference between believing it and living it. And so as we prepare to respond in worship and prayer, I want, I, want to give it, I want to leave it practical for you to help four practices to help lead us in understanding and living God's holy and inspired words found in the Bible. And these are in the version notes if, if, if you don't catch them. The first is this, always, always begin your time in God's word in prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your heart, to teach you new things. The second is this, that the Bible is meant to be read and heard in community. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. You need, you need personal devotional time. You spend time in this word at home and, and by yourself. But that's why we promote life groups. That's why we have discipleship gatherings. That's why we worship together as, as a body. The Bible was meant to be read and heard in community. You can see it in the Old Testament and the New. They would read the word of God to all the gathered believers. You see, through corporate worship and life groups and discipleship, we, we rely on one another and learn from one another as the Spirit speaks to not just each of us, but to all of us. And the third thing is to read the Bible daily. Listen, I love other books too. There's lots of good books out there, but don't let other books take precedent over your time in God's word. This is where you're gonna, this is where you're gonna encounter God's presence and his power. It's gonna grow your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the final thing is, is a, a, a neat little thing that I learned. I don't do it per se all the time, but it's called soap. Soap, S-O-A-P, scripture, observation, application, prayer. Read the scriptures, read through books at a time, read, read, read a chapter and then observe what the writer was saying to the original context and then what is he trying to, how does that apply to our lives today and then close in prayer. Renowned author, teacher, N.T. Wright, he said, the Bible is the book of my life. It's the book I live with, the book I live by, and the book I want to die by. And so is it yours today? I invite you to stand as we prepare to worship. Let the words of this song be your declaration today. They'll sound familiar. They'll sound familiar. These aren't new words. They're the creed put to song, the, the apostles' creed. And listen today, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, receive this truth. This is an invitation to receive this truth.
to make the words of this song your prayer today. Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, he said, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.